goodness and kindness to us this morning. We thank you that you're a God who speaks. Lord, today um, we ask that we would trust you. Uh, We would trust your ways. And we pray that you'd help us as we listen and um, respond. In Jesus' name, amen. So back in uh, back in 1998, Michelle and I did a wonderful had a wonderful trip to Turkey, and we visited a few sites. Uh, we visited Ephesus, which the locals called Ephes, and these are some of the happy snot, uh, shots, not snots, um, that I took. Uh, so actually, that one there, I don't think we took that, but I've just found it on my computer. But I'm pretty sure we took that one, and so it's pretty cool. You could walk around the streets of Ephes or Ephesus in Turkey. And you could walk the streets that Paul walked. You could walk the streets that the church at Ephesus, that 1 Timothy is uh, based at, well, that Paul writes to the church, 1 Timothy, church at Ephesus, and Timothy's leading that church. Uh, you could walk those same streets, and I really loved it. But I'd say it all wasn't uh, good times in Turkey. Before we went to Ephesus, a few days before that we arrived in Istanbul, and we checked into our youth hostel. So this is, um, you know, travelling on the cheap, no kids, that sort of thing. It was hot. Uh, it was busy and you know, sticky, that sort of time of the year. So I whacked on a pair of boardies, a pair of board shorts, and Michelle put on a lovely sundress, and off we went down the main street walking along. But then I started to notice some local men looking at me quite strangely. In fact, to be fair, it was an aggressive sort of way. And then some men started to make some comments uh, in Arabic towards me. And then one bumped into me. I just said, oh, sorry, mate, you know, it's a busy street and all that, lots of people around. Um, but then by the fourth or fifth guy who bumped into me, I started to, I think something was going on. Anyway, we stopped we looked at each other, we, we thought about it, and then it dawned on us, ah, we were not dressed appropriately for the culture that we're in. Our cultures, so Aussie culture and Turkish, which is sort of, it's an Islamic country, well, they collided on that day. They clashed, for sure. Anyway, we hurried back to the youth hostel, got changed, so I put some long pants on, uh, Michelle covered up appropriately, and we headed back out, and all was good. We had a good time. A few years ago, Michelle and I spent, um, uh, well, we, we, we lived for a few years in, in the Middle East, in Dubai, and this is one of our favourite pictures, which just demonstrated we loved this culture clash that we lived in. And so, uh, we just, oh, sorry, it's a bit, it's a bit saucy. Uh, we'll move on pretty quick. But that, that's, there it is, that, that culture clash, this, uh, and the way the guy was looking at the, the, the Western couple as well. Cultures colliding. Friends, um, today and next week, when we read God's word together, when we open up the word of God, well, cultures will collide. It, it'll clash. The culture that surrounds us, 21st century Australia, and the word of God. Two cultures. And they're going to collide. They're going to clash. As we read the Bible, that word of God, as we read the word of God, that word challenges us. If if we believe it is the very word of God, if we believe that when we open these words in our Bibles, we're actually reading the very words of God, we're reading the words that God has breathed out 
and that we can open up. We're believing that God is not silent, you see. We're believing that God speaks and these are his words. So if we believe that, well, what we'll find as we open the word of God, it's going to challenge us and there's going to be some clash of culture. The truth is the word of God has always clashed with culture. It did back in the first century Ephesus and it does today in 21st century Robertson. And friends, that usually results in some discomfort for us. When the Bible clashes with culture, well, it's often a little uncomfortable. Why? Because it challenges. When those cultures collide, it forces us to choose. It forces us to either continue to conform to the culture of the day, clinging on to it as if it's the ultimate rule of my life, or we trust God. We believe his word and we obey it. That's, that's, the, that's the choice we're faced with. Now, over the next couple of weeks, it may be uncomfortable. could be. Uh, God's word will challenge and will be forced to choose. Do I trust God in his ways or do I conform to the culture of my day? Now, 1 Timothy 2, 8 to 15, I hope hope you've got it in front of you. If you don't, get up right now, get a Bible, go for it. Don't worry about it. Um, It's good to have it in front of you. Uh, It touches on this passage. There's just a couple paragraphs, really. It touches on one of the most significant social or cultural revolutions of our time. Uh, That is, how men and women relate to each other. The cultural message that is preached to us in our society today is that we are now much more enlightened. We've progressed so far. We've, We've advanced so far in this space and how men and women relate to each other. Look how far we've come. That's the message we get. Now, to be clear, there have been changes in society, slow changes if you ask me, which have brought about some advancements, progress, when it comes to how we treat each other as men and women, uh, especially when it comes to the treatment of women. Uh, Friends, feminism has made our world a better place. However, the divorce rate is still increasing. The incidence of domestic violence, well, is not slowing down. Men are still beating women. Men are still killing their wives. A horrific thing we saw this week up in Brisbane, wasn't it? Just horrific. But it's not, well, it's not uncommon, unfortunately. You know, and, and she did everything right too, didn't she? If you know the story, if you read a bit about it, uh, she, she left the abusive relationship a few months ago, I, I read. She got the kids out. She tried to keep them safe. And yet... Even though she had all the resources of family and friends that many people in this situation don't have, but she had it all, even though she had all that, once again a man committed an atrocious act on a woman and their children. Are we really that much more enlightened as a society when it comes to men and women relating to each other? Have we really progressed and advanced uh, clearly the revolution has, hasn't solved everything, hasn't it? Could it be that the one who designed us male and female knows best? 
about how we're to relate to each other and how we're to get along with each other. So today, I would argue any time we read the word of God, but today we're forced to choose. Right? Truth, truth is, uh, this is a choice that every believer faces every day. Do I conform and cling to the, the cultural values of today or do I trust in God who made us and whose design for us as men and women is, as God says in Genesis chapter 1, very good? All right, well, we've been looking through 1 Timothy, as you know. And uh, don't forget, you can catch up if you're away. I, I, it's on the website as well. It happens a bit slow on the website, but you can go to the, our podcast and you can catch up. I use the one on the phone, or I don't use it, but I encourage the people to use them on the phone. I was there when I preached the sermon, so I don't need to hear it again. But um, sometimes I do listen back and see what I said. But anyway, um, so we've been going through 1 Timothy, and uh, it's the Apostle Paul's letter to Timothy, who's been given this task of pastoring the church at Ephesus. Paul's purpose in writing, uh, if you've got your Bible in front of you, chapter 3, verse 15, so people will know how to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God. The Apostles' focus in chapter 2, verses 8 to 15, is godliness. Godliness. Godly living amongst men and women in God's household, God's church. The first thing we ought to notice at the start of verse 8, have a look at it there, is the therefore. Now, if you've got a church Bible, which is the 1984 NIV, it's not there. Why didn't they put it there? It's in the Greek, it's in most other translations, it should be there. We're going to pretend it's there. If you've got a pen, write it in. Um, maybe you shouldn't do that. Wardens might get cranky. Uh, when we see a therefore, uh, what do we ask? We ask, what's the therefore therefore? That's what we ask when we see a therefore. Okay? So we're going to ask that question. In other words, what we say is what, what follows is dependent on what went before where Paul charged Timothy with the duty of resisting false teaching and also spelt out the glorious gospel of grace for sinners. Remember 1 verse 15, amongst whom Paul was the foremost. He says he's the worst of all sinners. It's in the light of this gospel, and we need to guard it, remember, guardians of the gospel, that Paul urges Timothy and the Ephesian believers to make it their priority to pray. So chapter 2 verses 1 and 2 to make petitions, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving for all people, for kings and all those in authority. So in every way possible, he lists a number of ways, Paul urges, pray. And pray for those you know and those you don't know. And pray for those in authority. Pray. Now how should they pray? This is all revision if you were here last week. Well, we pray. Why, why do we pray like that? Well, we, pray, we pray like that for social stability a society uh, permeated by the gospel is a better society for everyone. I hope you believe that if you're a Christian person. And for Christians, it frees us up to get on with godly, quiet Christian living. And second, we pray like this because it's good. See verse 3 and 4? It's good and pleases God our Saviour who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Now remember from last week, when we pray for the salvation of all people, all kinds of people, that's what it means, then that prayer is reflecting the very heart of God because God wants all kinds of people to be saved. He wants everyone to be saved. Now, what a privilege that is to be pray, praying like God, with the heart of God. So then in verses 5 to 7, Paul then gives us the reason for this universal scope of salvation. 
Any person can be saved. Let's look at verse, uh, verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. So there's one saviour, one God of all people and available to all. In verse 7, Paul's apostleship is testimony to this. He is the apostle to the Gentiles. That's everyone not, who's not a Jew. Uh, the gospel is not captive to social boundaries. Verse 8, therefore, we finally got there. All right, we got there. Therefore, as a consequence of this boundary-busting mission of God... I want the men everywhere to pray, or a better translation, in every gathering or in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. So Paul's first word is to the men. Prayer is what Christians, especially the men, are to do when they meet together. Now he's already made that clear in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, hasn't he, really? But in every place and in every, every gathering, pray. Now, let's just pause for a minute and ask a couple key questions when we open the Word of God. We should ask, ask, ask ourselves, what is it saying and what it's not saying? We're going to do that a little bit today. It's actually good practice for next week. Paul is not saying that men are only to pray and that's it. It's all we do. He's not saying that at all. They can do other things. And he's not saying that women are not to pray. 1 Corinthians 11 and 14 tell us that women are to pray, to prophesy, as the gathering comes together. Paul is simply saying that men are to pray. So men, I'm looking at you going around the room. Do you pray? Do you pray? Men, do you pray? Now we know some, putting a few clues together that the teaching of these false teachers had led to controversies, chapter 1. We know also from chapter 6 that it's led to heated exchanges. So disputes were being resolved with anger spilling over. So against that background, Paul's instruction is fairly straightforward. Rather than resolving those difficulties by resorting to violent methods and getting in each other's faces, men should be seeking to settle things through praying together. So the sign of godliness for men, would be hands raised in prayer to God, not raised in clenched fists towards one another. Male aggression and self-promotion are not to hinder prayer. In fact, they have no place in the Christian church. They have no place in Christian marriage. They have no place in Christian life. So as Christians, their hands and really their whole bodies need to be viewed as holy, set apart as God, uh, set apart for God. Christian men are to be known not for their physical strength and their power, however much that's admired in our society, they're known for their prayerfulness. Now again, God's not saying that women don't get angry. <laughs> He's not saying that. But in the light of the gospel, men pray. Do you see how that challenges our culture? Gentleness, humility, quiet godliness, prayer are not highly sought after attributes among men today. But in God's church, well, cultures collide, don't they? And we must choose. Trusting God and his ways or conform to the culture that surrounds us. 
Okay, so that's the instruction. That's Paul's word. That's the instruction to men. Now, I can hear a few whispers out there with the women saying, gee, they get off lightly, don't they? Look what's coming next. They get, that's all they get? Do they? Do they get off lightly? Is, is verse 8 the easy bit? Men, do you pray? How do you handle your disputes? Now, I'm not aware of men breaking into fisticuffs in the church car park, um, although I, I, I did break up a fight at a church once. Um, it was being these, between these two big African men. This is another Dubai story. Sorry, Rod. Um, <laughs> it's been a while, uh, hasn't it? These two big men, and, and you know, I'm, I'm not a shrinking violet. I can handle myself okay, and, um, and I did have to. Tell you what, these, they were... This is actually on Christmas Eve too, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Merry Christmas. They were fighting. And so I had to pull them apart. I actually really quite liked it. Anyway. <laughs> and I love the... What I loved too was the, the, the fact that pulling them apart. But I did love too the, the ministry that came after it. It's a long story. I'll tell you more about them at the time. But we don't... I, I, I can't imagine... I, I just can't imagine us going to the car park and having a, you know... Fisticuffs. I don't. I don't think that's going to be. Maybe it will one day. I hope not. Um, but I tell you what, we are more likely to do, and maybe men and women, we're more likely to sweep it under the carpet, because it's just a bit awkward having to sort it out, isn't it? Let's just sweep it under the carpet, and it'll just go away. Well, that's not the word from God. The word from God is to resolve it. The word from God is to pray together. Is verse eight an easy word? Do the men get off lightly? I'm not so sure. Okay, now Paul addresses the women. Uh, did you notice how I, uh, I said that? Paul addresses the women. I purposely put it like that just in case you want to start throwing things at me. Um, if you'd like to do that, please throw them at the Apostle Paul. Throw them at God. Don't throw them at me. Although I'm, I can duck and weave all right. Anyway. Now, the women, well, there's no anger management issue here. It's their presentation, their conduct, their character. So let's read verses uh, 9 and 10. I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. Um, Verse 10 puts it this way, but but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. I want you to notice first the also, the start of verse 9, or some translations have likewise. In other words, similar to the men, likewise, also, women, just as men should honour God with being men of prayer, women should honour God in godliness by dressing appropriately. So the women are told to dress modestly. So that means not showing off. Uh, with decency and propriety, so not sensual or sexually provocatively uh, provocative clothing. What they wear is to be respectable and showing good judgment. That is, thinking about the good you can do by what you dress. Now, friends, here is the great joy of what we practice here week in, week out, consecutive expository preaching. That means we believe that the Bible is God's word, that God speaks to us through it, and we preach through a book in the Bible. I don't just pick and choose. Because if I did pick and choose, there's no way in the world that I would have picked this passage here and talked to women about what they should wear. 
No smart, intelligent pastor has ever done that. But here we are, because we believe in God's word speaking to us, I'm going to tell women what they should wear. Actually, God is. Anyway. It's, God has a word to women, and here it is. God's got the microphone. All right? He's got the word to women, and it challenges. But you notice too in verse 10, women are to be proactive in doing good. So clothe yourselves with godliness, good deeds, doing good, good character, good works, that spring from that glorious gospel. What is to draw attention to them is not how they look, but how they live. And there is to be a visual correlation between their talk and their walk. Now, let's play that game of what's God not saying. What is God not saying? God's not saying that the only thing women ought to do is to dress properly. God's not saying that at all. And nor does it say, well, it doesn't matter what the, what the men wear. No, men, we can just as easily put on clothing that shows off that's not respectable or even sexually provocative. We, can, we too can lack judgment when it comes to what we wear. But and also, let's not turn into legalists here. All right? The point being made isn't a moratorium on elaborate hairstyles or, I think, a braided hair, some translations say, um, or, or gold or pearls or expensive clothes. It's not a moratorium on that. Uh, the Bible doesn't criticise effort taken by women to look attractive. So there's no need to all turn up next week wearing potato sacks. It's okay. I hear they're popular though in Robertson. Um, so the issue is simply that the women are to be known not for their physical appearance and what they wear, but for the wear, their wearing of godliness and good works. Uh, as you know, I'm a close follower of fashion. Just kidding. I'm not. I'm glad you didn't laugh. Has everyone laughed? Yeah, he's right, he's not at all. Anyway, no, no, I'm, I'm not a close follower. The closest thing I come to, to fashion is watching Zoolander again. <laughs> Who can go past Blue Steel? Um, I'll leave that up for a minute just so you can enjoy it. You wonder how he does it. Um, but we know, we know the fashion industry, it's big business, isn't it? It's big business uh, for both men and women. Big money and they want your money. And of course, fashions, well, they come and go. Uh, they want us asking, what should I wear today? Uh, will I look good in this? Will my friends be impressed? They want those questions dominating our choices, our conversations, our spending. And as I said, fashions come and go. I watched, Michelle and I watched this great movie on Friday night. Too. It was good fun. Um, it's called Blinded by the Light. Uh, it's, it's, I recommend it for everyone. Good family fun movie. It's the story of this um, Pakistani boy who grows up in Luton in the UK. It's sort of a nothing town. Uh, the only exciting thing about the town, it's got a big highway, expressway, heading to London. Uh, but this young boy's life, Javed, his name is, is turned around by listening to Bruce Springsteen. So it's full of Bruce Springsteen songs, so I just loved it for that reason too. What I love too, it's set in the 80s. So I grew up as a teenager in the 80s. A lot of us were alive and well in the 80s. Um, 80s fashion, man, how good was it? Big shoulder pads, big hair, lots of, lots of things hanging off. You know, is that about right? Things hang off you. Guys and girls, just stuff, colours, overwhelming. Um, so much shapes and things. 
80s fashion, let's pray it never comes back in, but I think it is. There's some people following 80s fashion. But it, fashions, you know, they come and go, don't they? Think of the 90s fashions, 70s fashions, 60s fashions and so on. Uh, I, I love it. Um, fashions come and go. Th- this passage here is very interested in what we should wear, but it comes to a very different conclusion. Godliness will never go out of fashion. Godliness will never go out of fashion as long as our Lord Jesus is concerned. Now, can you see how the word of God challenges the culture of today? Can you see how the word of God challenges our culture today? We, we have to choose Will we believe in God or cling to my culture? We need to reflect on this, pray about it. It's a good thing to talk about together. How do I trust God rather than my culture when it comes to what I wear? I'll say it again. How do I trust God rather than my culture when it comes to what I wear and the decisions that I make about my clothing? Now, asking that type of question is actually good practice for what's coming next week. Now, let's turn to those verses uh, and I'll make a few comments to get us thinking or offended or a bit something in between. Um, let's turn to 1 Timothy 2, 11 to 15. And our plan is today to simply give you a few questions and make a few points and then next week when I spend the whole time on verses 11 to 15. So please make sure you're here next week. Let's... Um, Let's read 1 Timothy 2, 11 to 15. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to, ha- or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Now, that's a much better word. In fact, it's the same Greek word as the word for quiet we've already seen in this letter twice, right at the start and also in, in chapter 11. Um, to, be, to remain silent, I think the older NIV says, um, is I don't think is helpful. Remain quiet, and we'll find out next week why, um, is a much better word. So, verse 13. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing, if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Actually, I'm, I'm feeling a bit of a, a bit of a, something in my throat. I feel like I'm coming down with something. I think I'm going to give this passage to John o next week. Is that all right, mate? You've got glasses now. You'll be fine. Um, <laughs> No, nah, nah, I wouldn't do that to you. Okay, a few quick... It's a tough passage, isn't it? Not easy. And you've probably got lots of questions and you're probably squirming a bit and you're thinking, oh, it makes me a bit cranky. How, how is this in... What does this mean? Um, a few quick comments. And again, the subject is the same. It's the relationship between men and women. But now we've moved on to more specific setting, the context of the teaching of the word of God in God's household. It's probably one of the most controversial passages in the New Testament, um, arguably the Bible, um, because it challenges us. It clashes. It makes us uncomfortable. So three quick things that maybe you didn't notice or maybe you're too busy looking for the exits. I don't know. Uh, three things that I can't promise you will make you feel any better. Okay, um, here's the first. You ready? We'll save the detail to next week. The first thing is there is authority in God's household. Verse 12 mentions it explicitly, but the whole paragraph presupposes it. See, I reckon one reason this paragraph paragraph makes us feel uncomfortable or clashes with culture is simply that we don't like authority, especially us Aussies. We 
don't like authority. We're rugged individualists. I heard that this week, um, uh, or read it actually. <laughs> so we are. We, we reckon that no one really has authority over us unless it's absolutely necessary. So maybe the cops, right, but unless we're absolutely compelled, we do not, do not submit to authority of any kind if we can possibly avoid it, certainly not in church. Now, I wonder how many of us would consider ourselves here this morning under the authority of anyone in, this, in church. Would you, think like, would you think like that? That's, that's a problem. That's a problem. We're not the church we ought to be if we think of ourselves as individuals who come and go as we please, who simply sit there and do what we like, accept what we like and dismiss what we don't like. That's a problem. So this is one reason why this paragraph sort of jars with us because it's talking about God's household in which there is authority. Second thing you may not like. Teaching has authority in God's household. In God's household, teaching is much more than just conveying information, which is what many people think teaching is, is conveying information. An authoritative teacher, well, he's a teacher who knows his stuff, right? Uh, what is taught is the glorious gospel of the blessed God. And healthy teaching is that which conforms to that gospel. It's much, much more than conveying information. And yes, it's always right for any Christian person to have their Bibles open and evaluate the teaching. That's always right. But healthy teaching comes, not with, comes, healthy teaching comes with authority and authority over every part of life. Authority to which we should quietly submit, all of us. In God's household, we're not free individuals. It's one of the reasons why for many people in the Christian church today, uh, commitment to church is so loose. One of the reasons why some of us may not feel committed to and belonging to this gathering, we don't feel that type of commitment. Not if it, not, not if it means someone having authority over us. So we come as long as it suits us and we leave when it doesn't. In God's household, we are to submit to the authority of healthy teaching. So that's the second reason why this paragraph sort of jars with us. Let me give you a third one, and uh, this is the one we'll focus more on next week. It's very short, but it's pretty significant. Men and women in God's household, according to God's word, in his church, there is a significant difference between men and women. They're equal, but they're different. It's not a difference between submitting and not submitting to the authority of healthy teaching. We all need to do that. But that there is a difference at all is the problem that many people have with this paragraph. And that's where we'll leave things today. Just going to leave it hanging. Hope you're here next week. Uh, it, it's not a great challenge, uh, selling point, but next week you'll be challenged as well. Um, not my fault. Blame Paul. Blame God. Uh, today, we could say it's been a bit of a warm-up for next week, asking those important questions. But if we're serious about trusting God and serious about his word and we really believe it is what it is, well, today should challenge us as men and women in God's household just as much as next week will. How about a pray? Father, thank you for um, uh, today. Lord, the, it, it's hard when... Your word clashes with our culture and we're forced to choose. And so we need your strength. We need your spirit to work in us. 
Father, we need you to fill us with your spirit as we, as we follow you, Lord Jesus, as we, um, as we strive to be godly, as men and women in your household, in your church. Lord, thank you for today. Um, thank you for the blessing it is to come together as your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, we are going to...